Bible readings are from Psalm 42 uh, and then followed on immediately from Luke chapter 22, verses 39 to 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. Now turning to Luke, chapter 22. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you fall not into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you are willing, Take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Thank you very much, Hugh. Good morning, everyone. I hope you're enjoying the prayer course more than I enjoyed that origami experience. Uh, or oh, indeed, if anyone knows how to extend this thing, Roddy, there we go. You need a f- someone from the army just to uh, make something happen. There we go, splendid. Right, so, uh, the prayer course, we're in week... Anyone know? Four? Week four. So what have we done so far? Anyone remember? Adoration, petition, intercession, 
And today we're looking at perseverance, and in particular uh, we're looking at the question of the difficulties that we go through in unanswered prayer as part of that. Now it was great, wasn't it, starting with those celebrations, and we heard about one amazing answer to prayer from Jade. Uh, We did hear about another one last Sunday as well, another thing, I think Jane was the person that passed this on. Um, Last week in that open time of intercession, we prayed for a little pygmy boy called Jossie, is that right? Yossi? Uh, In the Democratic Republic of Congo, uh, he had a large tumour in one of the atriums of his heart, um, which it didn't seem could be operated on. Well, on Monday, uh, we found out that he had been miraculously healed. So that's a wonderful answer to prayer as well. And isn't it interesting, when we choose to focus on intercession, when we choose to open up the floor for people to pray, that God has made sure that we have found out about two of the consequences of that. Let that be an encouragement to us. However, whilst that is a reality, that God does sometimes answer prayers in truly remarkable ways, it's also a reality that sometimes our prayers are not answered, at least not in the way we hoped. A light-hearted example in my own family, our own family, uh, would be Clara's daily prayer, uh, which we uh, have as part of our bedtime routine. Maybe many of you do if you've got small children as well. So we always give her the opportunity to pray. And uh, for the last three or four months, she's had the same prayer that she always prays. I'll tell you what it is. Dear God, please help me to share my toys. Amen. (laughs) Now, I'm sorry to say that three months on, that prayer has still not been answered. (laughs) And uh, she doesn't seem anywhere near being uh, ready to share her toys. It's an aspiration, not a reality. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. Yet leaving that trivial example aside, prayer is for most of us, unanswered prayer at least, can be a much more painful matter. We know that. I expect the vast majority of us in this room have experienced at one time or another prayers that haven't been answered in the way that we hoped, which has left us disappointed, discouraged, or at worst, even distraught. So today we're thinking about how we respond to those things. And how the, and why the Bible encourages us to keep on praying, to persevere in prayer, even when it's hard. So I'm conscious this is a really sensitive subject, and I want to pray now. God would just minister to us in all the situations that we're in, in any pain that we come with today. Let's pray now that he would help us. Father, thank you that you love to comfort us. You love to encourage us. You call us to persevere. So, Father, would you minister to us through what we think about from your scriptures as we have the chance to respond in a time of prayer ministry. And we pray whatever you want to help us with this morning, that you would do that and our hearts would be ready for you to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so... The first thing I want to say about persevering in prayer and about struggles in prayer is what I've already implied. We all have them. We all have struggles with prayer. I certainly do. Kate certainly does. I'm pretty sure Russ and Claire, for example, would say the same thing for them as well. It's normal. It's part of the Christian life. And actually, the Bible acknowledges that as well. Now, of course, there are many examples in the Bible of amazing answers to prayer. You only need to look at the book of Acts, for example, to see numerous. Yet alongside that, 
we also have, particularly in the book of Psalms, so many examples of actually the struggles that individual people of faith have in their lives. Now, the Psalms contain 150 separate, wonderful pieces of poetry written with great honesty as the writers share their own spiritual struggles and encouragements. And something like half of them contain what we might call an element of lament. In fact, the word Israel means the struggle. So we're part of a faith that is all about struggling, all about wrestling with God, and about seeking his blessing and joy, even in a place of difficulty or despair. And to that, we can add the words of Jesus himself, who told his disciples in John 16, verse 33, in this world, you will have trouble. A message repeated by Peter, by Paul, by John, and by the other New Testament writers, because they knew it from their own experience. I mean, just Peter and Paul as an example. We know they were martyred for their faith, suffering imprisonment and persecution along the way. They knew that suffering was a normal part of the Christian life. Now, why is it such an important point to say that the Bible knows this is what is normal? Because, unfortunately, and it it really doesn't help us, but many Christians assume that actually once we become a Christian, that all our problems are going to go away, that actually life is all going to become straightforward and easy. And that there's something wrong with us if that doesn't happen. But the Bible's perspective is so different. Yes, it tells us there are many joys and blessings in being a Christian. Yes, our faith can give us a peace and a purpose that far beats anything else. And yes, we have the transforming power of the Holy Spirit available to us. But we should also expect difficulties And we should expect discouragements at time, not least because we have an enemy. And in three weeks' time, we're going to focus particularly on that, the devil and how he seeks to oppose us in the spiritual battle that we're in. And we should expect doubts, and we should expect periods of spiritual dryness or wilderness. They're normal parts of the Christian experience too. But the key question is how do we respond to them? And in my view, there's no better passage that models how to respond to them than that psalm that we heard read, Psalm 42. Because no one can claim, can they, if you have it open in front of you, that the writer didn't understand the reality of spiritual despair. Listen to just some of those verses that we heard read. Verse 3, my tears have been my food day or night when people say to me all day long, where is your God? Verse 5, my soul, why are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Verse 7, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. Verse 9, I say to my God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? And it's the same, I have to say, for Pete Gregg, who we may have mentioned before, is the author of the prayer course. He's the founder of the 24-7 prayer movement. And in that position as founding and overseeing it, he has literally heard about thousands and thousands of miraculous answers to prayer all over the world as people have taken part in 24-7 prayer activities. And yet the great struggle within his own life, his own family life, has been his wife's battle with crippling epilepsy, despite no shortage 
of prayer for healing. And so as well as the reality of miraculous answers to prayer, Pete Gregg has also had to engage with that sometimes our prayers aren't answered. And he ended up writing a book on it called God on Mute. Um, And many of you may have read it and found it helpful. And the conclusion that he came to is that everyone experiences suffering and difficulties and disappointments. And that it is part of being a Christian. He even points out that Jesus himself actually had unanswered prayer. Which I'm sure you're thinking, where's that? Well, John 17, as Jesus prays that his church would be united. And I think we have to say that that is not always the case, is it? Certainly not the last time I looked. So if Jesus lives with unanswered prayer, and if the Bible is that honest about that element of struggle in the Christian faith, well then we too should be. And I don't think that's a sign of unbelief. Rather it's a form of faith. Because if you don't believe that God answers prayers, well you're not really going to be struggling with any prayers that aren't answered. You'll just think, well I didn't expect God to do that anyway. But wrestling with that question of unanswered prayer is a sign of faith, of knowing that God does often answer our prayers, and he can do that in astonishing ways. Yet unanswered prayer is still very difficult to understand. And Pete Gregg admits there aren't ever going to be easy answers to all of our questions about this. But he does suggest three uh, helpful ways of looking at the issue that actually uh, can really uh, be of benefit as we think about this together. So first of all, and he he puts under these three headings, God's world, God's will, and God's war. So first of all then, God's world. Some prayers aren't answered because they are simply, the situations in question are simply the consequences of the way that God has made the world to work. For example, the weather. Yesterday I took a wedding back at my old church. The weather was absolutely glorious, as you're probably aware. Yet there are thousands of Christian couples who may have prayed in just the same way for a lovely day on their wedding day, who didn't get that, and not just in England. Of course, for every disappointed couple on their wedding day, though, there will be a delighted farmer, maybe more. We need sunshine, we need rain, and God has set up the world so that we have both. It would just be nice to share the rain around a bit more, wouldn't it? You know, send it off to the south of Spain or somewhere where they need it. But natural disasters, of course, are another thing that flow from just the way that the world has been made, and often with far more tragic consequences. So that's the first helpful thought on this subject, God's world. The second is this, that some prayers aren't answered because it's to do with God's will. And sometimes we just have to accept that God knows best, even if we do not understand why. Now over my whole adult life, um, I can think of at least two jobs, for example, that I didn't get, that I was really, really gutted about at the time. But in both cases, when I found out subsequently what happened um, to the people that did get that job, I was hugely relieved, to be honest. They wouldn't have suited me at all, and I wouldn't have suited them either. Sometimes, obviously, it's much more complicated and very difficult um, to make sense of God knowing best. We don't often or always find out retrospectively why his will was the best one. When someone dies or is wrestling with singleness or loved ones don't come to know Jesus, these are all situations that are terribly, terribly difficult. 
And that's where we have to actually talk about a third factor now, a third way of understanding this issue, which is that sometimes it's not God's world that's the reason, it's not God's will that's the reason, but it's God's war, the spiritual battle that we are all part of. For the Bible teaches that there are things that happen in this world that God does not want to happen including things that we would definitely want to attribute to the devil, acts of evil which sadly we read and hear about all too often. For example, Islamic State and all that they're doing, and we're going to hear a little bit about a latest uh, problem related to that at the end of the service. And yet here's the amazing fact of faith. We believe in eternity, and sometimes we will lose people, and we will lose battles But we do not grieve as those who have no hope because we believe that ultimately God wins. Ultimately, Satan fails and there is a heaven. And if we have come to know Jesus, our place there is absolutely secure. Kate and I were reading the Bible together this week and we ended up in a discussion about um, Paul as we were reading the book of Philippians together. And what struck us from that letter was that it is a letter of such great joy. Yet Paul himself, when we looked into the context, was in prison and actually was speculating and expecting his own death. How on earth could he be so joyful? And the conclusion we came to was that it was because he focused on the bigger picture, not on his individual circumstances, but on what God was doing overall in the world. Now mainly through others, but Paul didn't mind, as he knew that the kingdom was still being advanced. God was still miraculously at work. And that one day, perhaps one day soon, he would be with Jesus his saviour, Jesus who loved him dearly. And that was something that he welcomed and looked forward to more than anything else. But here's the thing. It's possible for us to see things like that as well. We can learn to do that too. And when we do that, we become so much more robust because whatever happens to us, we can then find some reasons to be joyful because we're emotionally invested in things that are guaranteed rather than things that we can't control. And that bigger picture can sustain us even in those times when we feel God isn't saying anything to us at all. For in those times, which again I think happen to us all, a key thing is to remember that God's silence is not the same as his absence. Just because your prayers don't seem to be being answered or God seems a million miles away, it doesn't mean that he actually is. He promises in the Bible, I will never leave you and never forsake you, and that we are all dearly and unconditionally loved, whatever our circumstances may be. And we can see, actually, that is exactly what the psalmist reminds himself of in Psalm 42. The key verse, I think, in that psalm, for just giving us a pointer for how we can lift our own spirits when we're in a situation as bad as he was in exile, in imprisonment, away from Israel where he longed to be. Verse 8, he says this, By day 
The Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. And it's by reminding himself of God's goodness and God's love and that his own future destiny with him, that he can, he's able to lift his own spirits. And in that refrain in verses 5 to 11 say, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. And actually, times when God is silent can grow our faith rather than weaken it because they develop faithfulness. And we only learn faithfulness when we live through unanswered prayer and choose to still put our faith in God, even though it doesn't make sense. So at different stages in our journey of faith, there will be times when we don't experience God like we once did where we can't feel his touch or hear him in a way we once did. A very famous, influential Roman Catholic priest from a few centuries ago, St. John of the Cross, famously described this as the dark night of the soul. Those times when for our growth, God seems to withdraw and immerse us into a period of spiritual darkness. But he is still present And growth comes through developing that faithfulness of carrying on in faith even when he is silent. And by forcing us to wait patiently for him or to seek his presence in new ways. Because actually there are many different ways to grow closer to God. And God wants to develop us in different ways, perhaps in different seasons of our lives. For one season, it might be primarily through growing in our understanding of the Bible, through personal study or preaching or small groups that we're in. In another season, it might be through meditation and contemplation, learning to listen to God that way. In another, it might be by trying out new forms of prayer. In another, by growing in our spiritual gifts. In another, by listening to and participating in musical worship. In another, through serving in evangelism. In another, through ministries that bring God's love to those in need, like Beesom or street angels or healing on the streets. Or it might be through getting involved in overseas mission. All of these things can grow us in new ways. And God uses those times of relative silence, perhaps to encourage us to seek him in new ways that grow us as people who are experiencing him in different ways, in different contexts, in different seasons, and who then can be a blessing to many other people through passing on what we've learnt. So I think we can see that actually times where our prayers aren't quickly answered, times where God does seem silent, can actually be opportunities where we can be faithful, where we can grow and where we can experience God ultimately in ways that are far richer and that we can pass on to others and really helpfully help them too. Well, I want to just finish with the other passage that we heard read and I just want to hold that up actually as a model for us of how to pray. Because we know, don't we, if you recognise where those words are from, it's the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is facing his worst moment. 
anticipating his arrest and his crucifixion. And he shows us there how we might pray when we face up to our darkest circumstances. So this is what we read. He starts by saying, Abba, Father. What is he doing there? He's using an intimate term, just reminding himself that he is dearly and unconditionally loved by his heavenly Father. Next, at least in Mark's version of Jesus' prayer, he says this, everything is possible for you. Jesus is declaring his faith that God is able to intervene. He can do anything. Third, what does he do? He's completely honest about what he wants. Take this cup from me, he prays. And if he's that honest with God, well then so too can we be. And fourth, crucially, we have these words that reflect the bottom line for Jesus. An example he calls us to follow. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus is saying, even if this is the hardest thing that I've ever had to pray, even if every fibre of my being wants you to parachute in and rescue me from this situation, actually, I'm going to trust you. Your will, not my will, be done. And when we do that, though it's such a hard thing to pray, God will help us. And I love that final verse we heard read from Luke 22. Straight after Jesus had prayed that prayer, we read, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Just as I believe God will strengthen us, maybe not through an angel, but through his spirit calming us, encouraging us, comforting us, And reminding us of God's love. And it's through that prayer and that God-given strength that we will find the peace in that situation that we crave. So, how do we respond to all this? We respond by keeping on praying. And I just want to encourage you, why don't you join in with that week of prayer this week? Why don't you resolve from Monday to Friday to come along to one of those prayer meetings, whichever time works for you, whether it's 7 or 12.30 or 8, here on the chancel. Why don't you see what God does when a whole load of us gather together to pray and what he does in your life when you up that level of prayer in your own personal time? Come and use the chancel between 10 and 2 uh, to pray on your own if you'd like to do that as well. And why not pray more at home as well? Make this a week in which you want to step forward, step up in praying, just as Jesus urged his disciples to do, to keep on praying and never give up. Why don't we put that into practice this week? But what we're also going to do now is just acknowledge that actually this is a painful topic for us. And that this morning, I I really believe there will be a whole load of us who would really benefit from someone praying with us. Maybe it's that, that desire simply to reconnect with God and experience his touch and his presence again. Maybe it's the pain of unanswered prayer. Maybe we 
long for healing, whether physically or spiritually or emotionally. So in a few moments, we're going to have the opportunity just to come forward or to the back of church, whichever you want to, just to receive that opportunity for someone to pray alongside you, to unlock the ministry of the Holy Spirit, bringing what you need in your life today.